Sister Helen was speaking, I thought of a phrase that went through my heart while I was preparing for this meeting and that I've heard before, and it's simple. It says that sometimes offense is the best defense. When we're battling the devil, when we're battling sin, tell the children of Israel to go forward. And if we would do that, so many of the battles that we fight in the rear would be won already. Thank you, Jesus. And I, I just thought of, you know, I, I would say in my own life or situations I've been around, the feeling of being overcome by the enemy, of being ensnared by our own sin or by some other trap that he has laid for us, is this terrible feeling of being behind. This terrible feeling of what you could have done but didn't. Where you could have been but weren't. And there's something about that feeling that, that I think we all know. And, you know, it's, have you ever had those kinds of dreams where you're in the middle of some terrible circumstance and you realize that you didn't get dressed or something like that and you're asking yourself, how did I get here? I think that's kind of common. A lot of people tell me they have that kind of thing. How did I get here? And the terrible thing about it is that the dream always starts there. So it's a nightmare. And you're saying, what was the, the foreground that led me to this point? Because now I've got to deal with where we are. It's a terrible feeling. And I, I would say that I think that hell is going to be full of a lot of that feeling. It's going to be full of an awareness of what we could have done but didn't of all the ways that it would have been possible to avoid what we ended up with, but we didn't do it. And I think a lot of that comes down to not just the negative cutting off steps that we've got to take, it's those two, but it's also the steps forward that God is calling us to that we leave for another day. And I thought of, uh, I thought of the story in the Old Testament where... Elisha is on his deathbed, and you know the story where the king comes to him and is, is weeping because he's losing the chariots and horsemen of Israel, the battle strength of Israel. And, um, and so the king tells him, you know, open the window and shoot the arrow, and it's the arrow of the Lord's deliverance over the Syrians. And then he tells him, he says, you must strike the Syrians until they are destroyed. So he speaks to him the mindset that he's got to have, that there is a certain kind of perseverance that's got to come inside of him until. And then he tells him, take your arrows and beat the ground. And so the king beats the ground three times and then stops and looks at the prophet. And the prophet is angry with him. And he says, if you would have beaten the ground five or six times, you would have destroyed him. But instead... You're going to get three victories and you're going to be overrun. And it just struck me that he'd already told him, you must strike until they are destroyed. So apparently this king either did not have a realistic sense of what it was going to take. And he really thought that three times was going to be enough. Or maybe he got tired of it or maybe he didn't take it seriously. But something was missing in his mindset, wasn't it? that he didn't comprehend what it was going to take. And it makes me think of where Jesus said that 
that we have got to consider when we head out to battle whether we are going to be able to face him with 20,000 when we have 10,000. What is he telling us when he challenges us with that? Is he saying you might as well face the fact that you're going to lose? Is that what he's saying? That's not what he's saying. He's saying, what kind of fight do you think this is going to be? Because it does happen that 10,000 defeat 20,000 sometimes. But it's only when they are armed with a certain kind of mindset. Right? It's only when they know ahead of time, we can't lose one bit of ground. We can't miss one opportunity to take a strike in this battle. And then he said, if we don't have that mindset, we're going to start, but we are not going to finish. Thank you, Jesus. And the thing that was on my heart was that there is a certain kind of perseverance and a certain type of initiative that when they come together, it scares the devil. There is a certain kind of a combination of initiative at the onset and perseverance when it gets long. And if you got both of those things, the enemy is going to be on the run. And I thought of another story. I ministered about this recently in a different context, but I thought of another story, a uh, more modern-day story, when Israel was again facing the Syrians, actually. And it was what they call the Yom Kippur War. And it was in 1973, Israel had already won the, the 67 war, the Six-Day War, which had been an incredible victory where Israel had recognized their vulnerable position and basically destroyed the entire Egyptian Air Force on the ground. Before the devil's planes ever get off the runway, Amen. we can deal with them. It's the best time, right? And uh, they won that war against terrible odds. It was more than 20,000 against 10,000. And they won it in six days. And the world marveled at what had happened. And just six years later, they were in a similar position. They knew that Egypt was arming for war again. And um, only this time things were a little different. There was a different mindset that was going around in their camp. They felt a little more invincible than they had before. They'd lost sight a little bit of how vulnerable they really still were. And... Um, they were placing faith in their strategies and their technologies and, and so on and so forth. And what happened, as I understand it, and there are those here who know the story better than I do, but as I understand it, I read about it one time, and they did get warning. They had an intelligence agent in London, I think he was, who was connected in just the right places, and um, they called him the angel because he would always warn them of what was going on in the inner rooms in the Egyptian high command. And this fellow sent a message that Egypt was arming for war and that uh, by the end of the day, they were going to strike. By the end of the next day. This was like at midnight. And the guy who got the message with one of the top generals he was kind of sleepy. He'd been partying, and um, he was kind of sleepy and distracted, and he thought, man, 
I can't get everybody else up in the middle of the night for something like this. We're gonna, we're gonna, it's probably not even true. We're going to deal with it in the morning. And um, so that's what he did. He went to sleep with that message in his hopper. And in the morning they did. They got together and, and talked about it and what are we going to do. And there are some signs here and it does look bad and we've been expecting this and what is going to happen. And, and um, the thing they were really afraid of was we got to be real careful about any preemptive strike because, you know, one time before we were warned and it was a false alarm and we, we mustered all the army and it, it cost Israel millions of dollars and they lost a lot of face because it turned out to be a false alarm. And boy, you just hate to get ready if it isn't really going to happen because you look real dumb. And... Uh, so they talked about it, and they said, you know, we can't do this. The world is not going to approve of us if we, if we take another preemptive strike here. And, and so they, 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 they waited, and they stalled, and they argued, and they waited, and they waited, and they waited until it's too late. And the Egyptians, sure enough, struck even a little sooner than had been predicted, and they just about lost everything. They were overrun from the north, overrun from the south, and they just about lost everything because of their hesitation. When the command came to go forward, they waited. I thought of um, when Herod went out to kill all the little babies in Bethlehem, but the angel had warned Joseph. So when Herod went to swing, there was nobody there. Amen. They'd already heard the message. And now I want to just read one passage of scripture to you that the Lord put on my heart. This is in 1 Corinthians 9, about our attitude. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. I'm running. In what way are you running? We've got to run in such a way that we win. <laughs> there are not going to be prizes for participation. There are not participation trophies. There are winner's trophies in the kingdom of God. And everyone who struggles for the prize or fights for the prize exercises self-restraint, or the NIV says, goes into strict training. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable. Therefore I run thus not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become a castaway or disqualified. It doesn't matter how much God has used us. It doesn't matter how gifted we are. It doesn't matter what happened last month or last week or yesterday or in the fair or anything else. We have got to run in such a way as to win the prize. Amen. Lest any one of us become disqualified and cast away out of the race. We say, well, I don't know what happened to so-and-so. He was so gifted. He was used by God. I remember the time when he helped me with this and when, when his word accomplished this in my life and he was a good example and et cetera, et cetera. Well, I guess we ought to get dejected and discouraged and, and realize that, well, you know, I guess none of that was real. Well, not necessarily. 
It probably was real. But it's not what gets anybody into heaven. It's not what gets us to the end of our faith. And he goes right into chapter 10 and he says, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. This is connected. I don't want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. What is this symbolizing? Rebirth and water and spirit. Thank you, Brother Rossi. All of them ate the same spiritual food. They all heard the same words from God. All drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Amen. They came out, like Helen said, and lost heart, lost faith, lost perseverance. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after the evil things as they lusted, after they had come out. And do not become idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down, mistake number one, Amen. the people sat down to eat and drink and then they rose up to play. Let's just take a break. Let's just feed the flesh. Amen. And when we start feeling a little vigor, let's use it to mess around. It, I look, the word play there means to play like a boy, to be a big baby, to expend your resources and your energy on things that are worthless. Amen. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. If you look up where they tempted him, it was where they were complaining in the wilderness. And they were saying, if it was the Lord who brought us out here, well, then how come he doesn't give us something to drink? Because we're really thirsty and this is really hard. Amen. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. God is not the one that is on the testing ground. And when we get into the attitude that says, I don't know why this isn't working, God isn't doing his part, maybe I'm not going to hear him, like was said before, we've turned things around, Amen. and we're going to displease God. We are the ones that are being tested. When you're out there and you're a little bit thirsty, it's not God who's being tested, it's you and me. Amen. And it does not please God for us to start whining about it and telling him that he's supposed to do something about it. When Sister Destiny shared that, I thought... You know, praying about what am I, or considering what am I going to do if God doesn't say anything to me? And she really said it. But my first thought was, we should be thinking and said, what am I going to do if I don't hear him? What am I going to do? Because I know he's going to speak. What am I going to do if I hear silence? Or if I hear thunder and it's not a clear enough plan to know what to do? What am I going to do about it? Because it's not him who's being tested, it's me. Nor let us complain, as some of them did, as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands 
take heed lest he fall. It doesn't matter what it is, if it's just the, <sighs> we just came through the fair. Amen. It's a good fair. Now it's the holidays. Whatever it is, let him who take, thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. And I would submit to you that if we would open our eyes, the Lord would give us the word for the preemptive strike Amen. that is going to stave this thing off. We don't have to sit back and say, well, it seems like we got peace for a season. We can instead say, God, speak because your servant is listening. Amen. We want to take care of this Air Force while it's on the ground and have a real peace, a peace that remains. Thank you, Jesus. And then he says, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. Why does he tell us that? It's because we always want to think we're an exception. Amen. We always want to think that, oh boy, it's not like this for so-and-so, and so-and-so -so doesn't have the same problems, and this, that, and we've got a thousand reasons why we're an exception. And he's telling us right here, you're not. Amen. Stop complaining. Stop testing the Lord. Just face the fact that you're just like everybody else. Amen. You're just like the ones who failed and fell, and you're just like the ones who overcame. Amen. They're all the same. It's just a matter of what kind of mindset you're going to have and if you're going to run in such a way to win. Amen. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. And I submit to you tonight that sometimes that way of escape is the preemptive strike. You get right in the buried in the battle after you've been sitting down and wondering what was going on and waiting or just resting, and then here he comes. The enemy comes in like a flood and ambushes you, and you say, oh, I couldn't help it, and there was nothing I could do, and it just overtook me, and I was already over the edge and all this. Where was the way of escape? It was before. God's waiting for you back on the other fork that you missed, and now you're feeling that behind feeling. But even in this battle... Even when you're in that behind feeling, he's still got a way of escape. Even after you fell, he's got a way of escape. He's, because if you're hearing his voice, there's still hope. If you're hearing that, feeling that pull on your heart and you just reach out, amen, maybe he'll make a shortcut. Maybe his grace is still extended and you can get back across to that fork where you should have been. But the best course is to hear it ahead of time. That is the way of escape. Amen. So when we get stuck and we get ambushed, we should not say, the Lord did this to me. You know, God wasn't there when I needed him. I don't know what happened. We should be asking ourselves, God, what did I miss? When did you speak and I didn't hear it? When did I not care enough about it to get a hold of it? Thank you, Jesus. But I tell you, I felt such a faith coming into this meeting tonight. Amen. That we do not have to be caught on the ground. We can catch our enemy on the ground. Thank you, Jesus. The Lord speaks something to you, and he says, you need to make a change. How do we respond to that? Do we say, well, I mean, you know, people are going to wonder what I'm doing if it's not really a big battle yet. It's going to look a little radical, and I'm going to feel a little silly and everything. That's what they were saying in the Yom Kippur War. What is ever the rest of the world going to think of us if we overreact? Not, you know, you just hate to overreact and do something that's too radical for God. If God is speaking to us about a change, if we feel those rumblings and those little stirrings that says, get up and get out. Leave your family, leave your home, and go to the land that I will show you. If he tells you, go serve over here. If he tells you, 
get involved in this. Pick up this book and read it. Go pray for so-and-so right now. Pick up the phone and go call and go help, go serve. Whatever it is, it just might be the preemptive strike. Not only for you, but for others. Amen. You might be the intelligence agent whom God has spoken to. Are you going to get up in the middle of the night and say, Brothers, let's do something right now. God is some angel is speaking some little communication to me, and I feel like if we just get up and leave Bethlehem right now, we're going to avoid something that's about to happen. Amen. That wants to kill the purpose of God in my life or in our, among our midst, in our church. God, help us to listen. Amen. Help us to be ready to watch and to pray and to hear His voice in the time of peace. We've got to do it. Can't wait until the struggle is overwhelming. We got to say, God, I'm that little thing. I'm going to fan to flame the gift that lies within me. I'm going to do something with it now, and we're going to be ahead of the curve when He shows up. Thank you, Jesus. While Brother Dan was speaking, I remembered a message that I ministered a couple weeks ago, maybe a couple months ago, I don't recall. Why do you stand here idle, looking into heaven? And I remembered a dream also that I had when I was 19 years old. And I was praying to know God's will about my future and my life. And I had a little bit of a mental log jam in my head. And I had this dream, and in the dream, I walked out into my parents' living room, and I stood behind the rocking chair and leaned on the back like I often did in the evening, just before we went to bed. And my dad turned to me in the dream, and he said, um, what has God spoken to you about your future, about such and such? And, and I said, well, I understand that in some cases... That's not God's will for this reason and that reason and this reason and that reason. And I remember in the dream, my dad turned to me and he said, that's right, in some cases, and you're not one of those cases. I woke up the next morning feeling a little less secure in my position. I also remembered while Brother Dan was speaking a conversation that was taking place in the community hall in the bookstore at the fair. We were about to walk out to music, and a very sincere lady, I don't know who she was, a guest at the fair, came up and began to ask Brother Evan Birdsong some penetrating questions, I thought. And she was asking him about what it meant to have a separate culture and to come out of Babylon, and what did that entail? And Brother Evan was answering her very wisely, I felt. And another gentleman, and I don't know if he's here tonight, but if he is, I'll say what I've been wanting to say to you ever since. But he inserted himself, and he began to say, well, you know, there's a time when God, yes, it's true, he says, to come out of her, my people, but we have to remember Daniel. Daniel was a resident of Babylon, and God made him wise and prudent and powerful for his purpose right there in Babylon. And for the same, by the same token, God helps Christians wherever they find themselves be wise and equipped 
in Babylon. And I, I felt a little bit of the ire of the Lord rise in my heart at the perversion of reality that was taking place. And so I couldn't resist inserting myself into the conversation. And I had to point out to this person that, yes, God provided. He gave grace for the Israelites in Babylon. But the fact that they were in Babylon in the first place was the judgment of God. And they were sent there on a timeline and a timetable with an expiration date when they were going to have to leave. And so I asked this person, I said, if the Jews who were in Babylon, when they heard that Nehemiah was crossing back over to Judea to rebuild the burnt gates and the walls that were turned, torn down, if they had said, no, 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 God's providing for us here in Babylon, would they have remained in good standing with God? Clearly not. In the same manner that when God called the children of Israel to Goshen, there can be no doubt it was his will. There can be no doubt it was his provision. But if they use that as an excuse for staying behind, when Moses said, it's time to leave the next morning, make the sacrificial offering and prepare yourself, if they had said, no, no, Christians have been in Egypt for 430 years, Moses, you don't understand. God's given us a grace to do his will right here in Egypt. Then the next morning, they would have found their firstborn son slain along with all the other crowd of Egypt. Yes, God may allow you to be in Babylon or Egypt for a season, but there's going to come a time when he says to get out. And if you use that past dispensation as an excuse for disobedience, you're no longer going to be walking by faith. You're no longer going to be part of his people. So the question is, what is that preemptive strike? It's hearing. The beginning, it all starts with the ability to hear. God, what are you speaking to me? Have I become deaf for the present because of some word I heard in the past? Or can I still hear the voice behind me saying, this is the way, it's time to step out and walk in it? And I asked this individual, I said, so then the question falls on you to answer whether God has prophetically spoken through John the Revelator in the book of Revelations that in our day, in the end time church, a word is going to come to Christians who have been at ease in Babylon. And is that word going to say, come out, my people. Now's the time to get out of that place where you've been comfortable. And if that is what is in the Bible, then you be, need to be very careful about becoming too complacent in your provision in Babylon. Because God is going to call you out. Are you going to be able to hear it? Amen. I read in that familiar passage in Colossians where he says you're becoming subject to things. Do not do this and do, do, do that and don't do this. And he says these have an appearance of godliness. But the part that struck me is he said, these are destined for destruction along with everything else that is made by man. God is calling us out of anything and everything that is of our contrivance and asking us, are you still walking by faith? 
Are you still in obedience to the truth, to the Spirit? Amen. Is the pillar of fire miles ahead of you? Or are you still in step with it every day, one step at a time? Amen. And when Brother Dan was speaking, I, I thought how there is a mindset that I feel like is ubiquitous. I have encountered it in every place, in every continent and foreign place where we've ministered, at the inception of every new work, no matter where it's been, there is a mindset that says, I want God's will to be done, but I'm waiting on God to do it. That was the mindset that they had when they were gazing up into the sky while Jesus was still ascending and the angels were already mad <laughs> that they were being idle, gazing into the heavens when God had given them direction to go to Jerusalem and start preparing. Amen? There is a mindset. It's like first Christians will say, we don't have to have the Holy Spirit. We just need to believe or imagine in our heads that we do have it and that's enough. And then after... You tell them, oh no, you need to have the Holy Spirit. You need to trust God and His presence until you can be so responsive to Him that you begin to speak in other tongues and let the Spirit give you utterance and give you direction and lead and guide you into all truth. Well, then they say, well, I want God to do it all. So they want to just be these inert, lifeless, little empty bags hanging around. Okay, God, do it all. And God doesn't want, God's not interested in doing your obeying for you. He's not interested in being a husband for you. He's not interested in being a wife for you. He doesn't want to be a mother to your children for you. He wants to grace you and empower you to do His will. And He's already said that He will put at your disposal everything you need for life and godliness. He's already promised he'll never leave you and he'll never forsake you. So if you feel abandoned, God's not the one who walked out. You are. And if you'll get back into proximity to his presence, you're going to feel him there equipping you and you're going to be able to say, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. You say, okay, but I want to do it, but I don't feel strength. Why don't you feel strength? Jude said, build yourself up in your most holy faith by praying in the Spirit. Don't sit around whining and complaining like God's the one on the test. Like Brother Dan said, say, God, I know the strength is there. I am going to pray until I feel it back in my heart, back in my obedience, back in my will and my understanding. God is not going to become so powerful that you can become passive. He's going to become just powerful enough that you can become useful and effective in giving your all and seeing results for the first time. You're going to have to do this. Thank you, Jesus. You just look back at the church in 1977 or 78 or especially 79. Here they were poised to make an enormous shift for 120 people to pull up roots and move from New Jersey, 1,800 miles away, to Colorado to become a community instead of just a church in a city. They were right there poised. 
They could have heard the word of God, known they were supposed to make the shift, known they were supposed to take a step and sat there praying and they could still be praying 40 years later. Oh God, just open a door. Oh God, just do it. I know you want to do it. But somebody said, no, we need to take a step. We need to get out there, even if we don't know where we're going. Isn't that what it says about Abraham? He went out not knowing where he was going, but he was doing a preemptive strike. Amen. He wasn't going to wait until it all made sense to his mind. He was going to get out, take a step. Brother Howard's ministered my whole life about Jonathan and his armor bearer, and he reminded me of it right before the fair, how Jonathan says to his armor bearer, let us cross over to these uncircumcised Philistines, and if they come out and oppose us, we know God's on our side. <laughs> you got to stop expecting that everything's just going to unfold for you. You got to stop waiting for a silver platter. You got to stop waiting for lightning to be in the sky and your name to be inscrawled in the heavens. Amen. You got to say, God, I wish it was more. I wish it was louder. I wish it was clearer. But I feel a still small voice tugging at my heart. And I'm not going to sit here any longer. It's enough to get me on my feet and start groping along the wall. Amen. My dad says in that meeting in 1979, he said, we went to Colorado not knowing what to look for. And he said, well, we're just going to take a step. And if God doesn't confirm it by opening a door, we'll say that's, that's the Lord and we'll step back. But we're not going to sit here idle. We're going to take a step. One at a time. Lord, how do I do this? God will see that step because the first step takes place in your heart. It's a determination. It's a rolling over, a revolution in your mind. It's going to happen. Somebody asked me in, a, in another country, must have been six years ago, over six years ago, six and a half years ago, they said, our children have not been raised like this. We want to start a community, but our children aren't raised like this. How are we going to how are we going to get them in line? How are we going to make the shift? We're so far behind. And brother Randy and I ministered to this brother, and we said, the miracle is not only when you know it must happen, but when you know that as much as depends on you, it's going to happen. And when it's going to happen, right here in the mind, in the space of faith and conviction, well, then the universe is going to adjust. God is going to provide what you need. Amen. Jesus didn't get the angels coming to minister to him in the garden until after he'd made that final decision. It's going to happen. Amen. I'm going to do God's will no matter what it takes. And the angels came and ministered to him. When Daniel was praying, it says that he prayed for several weeks and he wasn't hearing what he wanted to hear and he wasn't seeing the changes. But the Lord said, from the day you set your heart to hear from God, the angel was coming. He just had to work through the Prince of Persia and the other obstacles in between. Thank you, Jesus. Something's got to happen in your heart. Amen. Now there's a community in that country. I remember Brother Jared telling me that when he came to visit for the first time in the spring, I want to say it was the spring of 2013, he said that he got back on the plane with his wife and he turned to her and he said, we're going to have this in New Zealand. We're going to have a family like this. We're going to have a community like this. 
We're going to do it just like this in New Zealand. Well, they've got it. Thank you, Jesus. And it's not because they went back and prayed, oh, God, you know, just we'll know it's you whenever it takes no faith. We're just waiting, Lord. Amen. They said, we'll know God's with us if the whole host of the Philistines come out to oppose us. Let's start climbing up the bank. Something's got to happen. I feel like God is preparing something for us in this coming year. I told Brother Matt this, this afternoon, I said 2020 is going to be a great year. We are going to see expansion and victory like we've never seen it before. And you know what? It's such a conviction for me. I'm not going to sit around and wait for it to happen. I know it's already in motion. I'm going to be part of seeing it happen. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. The biggest personal victory you can get over this paralysis of shifting responsibility from yourself and back to God, the biggest victory you can get is when you discover it's not about you. When you discover what Paul said, he said, I who am least, God has worked his work in me that through me he might demonstrate his mercy and his patience toward toward those who would believe. Paul knew that the revolution that happened in him personally wasn't about him personally only. It was to demonstrate something to somebody else. Wherever you are, if you've got a self-centered mindset, if you're asking for help so that you can spend it on your pleasures, if you're asking for grace so that you can have a better life, you're an idol. And God's not going to waste his power in worship of the idol of self, even if that self has the name that you bear. Thank you, Jesus. You need to turn out. You need to say, God, I have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. I have experienced the reality of something I craved for for years. God, it is incumbent on me. There is an onus and responsibility on me. How can I sit by while the city starves and four lepers have seen the provision that God has made available? God, I've got to show people. I've got to help people. And when you're driven with that motive, thank you, Jesus, then suddenly his grace and his patience and his mercy is going to abound in your life. There's a whole multitude of Christians out there who don't know what you've known even in this meeting tonight, who don't hear what you've heard even in this meeting tonight. Their God is mute. Their God is dead. Their God does not move them or speak to them or guide them. Their families are ransacked. Jerusalem's gates are torn down and her walls, her walls are torn down and her gates are burned with fire. Amen. There is a whole church out there who is standing in the rubble of what man has made and which has now been destroyed or is in process of being destroyed. But we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Therefore, let us have courage to serve God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Amen. To lay aside the stupid things that beset us and run with patient endurance the race marked out for us. How will we ever forgive ourselves? How will anybody ever forgive us if we neglect so great a salvation? Somebody says, I want a vision. I need a vision. If I have a vision, I'll do much better. Well, that's true. I want a vision. If I have a vision, my fellowship or my group 
We won't perish. That's also true. So what's the vision, God? What's the vision? It's really not a mystery. The vision is that God died to save sinners. Paul said, of whom I am chief. God has a witness to go forth to notify those who dwell in the valley of the shadow of death that a light has dawned and that they can get out of that shadow and back in the daylight. God's vision is to reach his people. That's the vision. And he'll tailor it in each place to help you be exactly what he wants. He doesn't want you to do witnessing. He wants you to be a witness. He doesn't want you to pass out tracts. He wants you to be part of the city set upon a hill that cannot be hid. But that's the vision. The vision is to let the people know that Jesus is real. The vision is to tell this crumbling church that Nehemiah has plans to fix it. The vision is to prophesy to the wind and speak to the bones and believe that a mighty army can rise out of this valley of dry bones. That's the vision. The vision, the vision isn't for you to go have your quaint little existence apart from God. The vision isn't for you to have a perfect garden and a milk cow and a fence around it and to smile at each other and feel like everything is oh so kumbaya hunky-dory. That's not the vision. Amen. He died on the cross. He gave everything to tell people how real God's love was for him. And that's the vision. Are you bringing that message to those around you? Not in word, but in deed. Not in tongue, not in tracts, but in lifestyle. Well, that's the vision. Agriculture has no value for us if it's not part of that vision. Crafts have no value for us if they're not part of that vision. But when I know that over 200,000 people come through this craft village every year, I say, okay, Lord, you've put us on display. Let us be faithful, not in word, but in the witness of a life. Then the vision is being seen. Hallelujah. Is there that burden in your heart, wherever you are, or is it self-centered? Yes, God has, plan has a plan for your children. Yes, he's got a plan to fix your marriage, but it's not about you. It's about how you're going to help those who are looking to you and need a bigger answer than they've seen before. So let your vision be seen and let it shine forth. What is the will of God? Jesus said, this is the will of him who sent me, that of all whom he has given me, I lose none, but raise them up on the last day. That's the will of God. So let's not stand here idle. Let's hear what God is speaking to us. Let's move forward. You say, well, I want to move forward, but I'm just waiting for God to do it. No, he's already done it. The word, the sign, and the word have already been given. Now it's by faith we must listen and we must act. Amen. I believe God is speaking to people tonight. I believe that decisions are being made. Even if you don't realize they're being made, they're being made tonight. Get on board. Amen. Amen. Don't pray, God, become more powerful in my life. Pray, God, make me more supple to the power that's already coming from you in my life. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmaments tell of his handiwork. Day unto day pours forth speech. Night unto night reveals knowledge. But there is no speech and there are no words. Only those who can hear the words that are not spoken. Who can read the message that is invisible to the carnal mind. Only those responsive in that manner 
can start to obey God in the way we're talking about tonight. Amen. Somebody will leave this meeting and say, God told me in that meeting that I'm supposed to make a move. Somebody else will say, God told me in that meeting that I'm supposed to carry a burden in this area or in that one. Amen. And somebody else will say, well, I didn't hear those words. No, no, the heavens were declaring the glory of God, but no words were spoken. I just felt it in my heart. Amen. Hallelujah. And I'm not going to sit around and ask God to get more powerful. I'm going to beg him to make me more responsive. Amen. Somebody says, I, I prayed and I finally pr prayed through and I began to speak in other tongues, but I wish it was more. Well, of course you do. We all wish we were in heaven, but we're not. But if you could feel God's presence and through faith step out on the water and let him take control, we do not know how to pray as we ought, but the Holy Spirit makes intercession through us with groanings too deep for words. If you could become a light enough person like a leaf in a wind, like a kite no longer made out of lead, but finally flapping in the wind, if you could become responsive to the breeze of his spirit, the gentle zephyr of his grace, amen, then that's a great start. He can blow you all over the world. Amen. You can be one of those holy men of old who are led along by the Holy Spirit. Don't say, God, be more powerful. Say, God, make me more responsive. Make me more sensitive. I believe I'm starting to feel something right now that I can respond to. Amen. You say, well, when I, when I got the Holy Ghost, it didn't really seem like something, anything strange or foreign to me. Well, it wasn't supposed to. Jesus told the apostles when they were being instructed about the Holy Spirit that they were going to receive, he reassured them and he said, He has been with you. Why did he say that? To tell them that the presence they were already familiar with, well, it was just going to be a little bit more of that. And that they were going to become more responsive to that. He has been with you, but he will be in you. It's the same spirit you feel when the preaching is anointed. It's the same spirit you feel when we're worshiping and your hearts are warmed to trust God and praise his name. It's the same spirit you feel when we're in the tent and we're rejoicing in song and you feel that joy of the Lord, amen. It's the same spirit you feel when you're reading the Bible and your heart is pierced or convicted. You just gotta give it more room to have its way in your life, amen. You just gotta be more responsive to that spirit. And if God can get a whole people to be responsive to his spirit, the kingdom of God is going to advance because the kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. The Spirit of God is like a deer in the woods. You can chase it away with the opinions of your mouth. You can silence it with how loud your flesh is. But it's there. It's there, and if your flesh can become oh so still and subdued and denied, then quench not the spirit and don't despise prophetic utterance. He'll start to have his way. He'll start to speak to you. Soon you'll be saying, I don't know, but I, I feel like God might be speaking something to me. And somebody who, is, who knows the Lord will say, that is the Lord. You just keep stepping out in that. Amen. Build yourself up in your most holy faith. That faith of readiness to obey. God is going to raise up churches just like he has already. 
How many of you walked into the bookstore and saw those six panels of those new churches and felt your heart encouraged? Raise your hand. Amen. I want you to know that those didn't come about because people in those other places said, we're going to sit around and wait. And if it's God's will, he'll present us with something that we can't resist. Those came about because people said, Lord, it looks like the waves are high and it looks impossible and I've never walked on water when I didn't fall through, but I feel something. And if it's you that's pulling me, if it's you that's asking me to take this step, go ahead and confirm it. Talk to my heart and I'm going to climb out of my safety zone and I'm going to tiptoe out on these waves and I may fall a time or two, but I'm going to keep coming. Amen. That's how it happened. And when God finds those kind of people in Holland, he's going to have a church there. And when he finds those kind of people in China or various places in India or Asia, he's going to have a church there. And when he finds those kind of people, not just in South Africa, but in Uganda, he'll have a church there. And when he finds them in Arkansas or Wisconsin or wherever it may be, he'll have a church there. Because wherever two or three are willing to be that sensitive to God, nothing can stop them. Amen. That's how we're here. And when God finds a father who's willing to obey and discharge his service to his family in that manner, he'll have a godly family. And a wife, there'll be a godly marriage. And those who sit around and plead with God to do their obedience for them, they're going to be whining and complaining and asking God and staring up into the heavens the day they die. But the angel is saying to us, why are you standing here idle? Why are you waiting? It's time to get up. When God moves on hearts, a little something here and there, a little burden of love, and somebody has that kind of responsiveness, that Peter had, that we're talking about tonight, he'll have a gift of ministry there. He'll have a gift of, of worships leading there. He'll have a teacher there. He'll have gifts of helps there. He'll have workers of miracles over here. Get out of the self-center. Get out of the place where self is the center and God is supposed to be revolving around that. And get back in the place where his bigger purpose is the center. And you're supposed to be spinning around that like a leaf in a hurricane. Amen. I feel it tonight. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Tell the people to go forward. Amen. <laughs>